I'm going to play that for you in just a minute. But let me say to you, Merry Christmas. Uh, I am thankful for you guys. I'm glad you're here with me this morning, with us this morning as we gather to worship together. And uh, for all of our family that's uh, home, uh, watching because of the roads or because of the weather, uh, we wish you guys a Merry Christmas too. We long to be with you. We miss you this morning, and we just pray God's blessing over you. And so uh, I'm going to play this video for the kids and for us, for the kids at heart. And then the text that is in this video is actually what we're going to be uh, looking at this morning, okay? So this is in Matthew uh, chapter 2, I believe. And uh, so you can turn there if you'd like, and we'll watch this, and then we'll, we'll jump into the, to the message. So the title of today's message is, is Wise Men, and uh, it's probably pretty evident to you based on the, on the video that we just watched why that's the title. Um, wise men sought for Christ then, and I think wise folk still seek for him today. Uh, these wise men in this text, they searched for Jesus. When they found him, they offered him gifts as a sign of their worship And like these wise men in this story who worship Jesus, we must let our light shine by offering our lives as gifts to God as well. I have for you, if you're a note taker, four main points. Also, uh, for those that are here, I made copies. You can fill that out if you'd like to. You don't have to. For those of us watching online, uh, there is a digital form of this on the website. You can download that if you'd like to. Um, But I'm going to give you the the four main points. And then under each of those points, I have some sub-points. And so if you can follow along with me in Matthew 2, uh, the first thing that I want to share with you is this. this is, there is power in this newborn king. 
And so I want to look at the power of this newborn king. In Matthew 2, verse 1, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And so here's the sub-points that I have for this as we look at, oops, uh, there's the text that I had for you. Here's the, the sub-points of this, this power of this newborn king. We see firstly in the promise Isaiah 9, 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Here's some inside baseball for you. I think next year for Christmas, for the Advent season, I want to look at each one of those names and what those mean to us. And so that's what I uh, would like to do next year. But we'll see what God has. Uh, he might come later today, and then we'll, we'll all be in heaven, and, and we won't have to worry about uh, what I'm preaching on, because we'll hear it for, right from Jesus, right? But uh, the, the promise of this Savior was already told long ago. In fact, this promise of this Savior was given all the way back in the Garden of Eden, if you remember. Adam and Eve, they sinned, and from that they were kicked out of the garden, but God, as he was uh, chastening them and is punishing them for their sin against him, he also, in that very punishment, still gave them a promise, didn't he? He told them that from their own lineage, from their offspring, eventually they would be delivered. And you fast forward a little farther, and then you have Noah, who is this illustration of God being the one who saves. Noah didn't shut the door to the ark. God did, and he kept them safe inside of there until they should be delivered over to the new earth after the flood. Fast forward a little farther yet, and then you have the patriarch Abraham. And on that mount, he was going to offer his son as a sacrifice, and God stopped him and said, now I know that you love the Lord, and provided a ram in his son's place. See, salvation comes from the Lord, and this promise of this child was given so long ago, and now this promise is fulfilled. And the cool thing about that is this promise that has been fulfilled also uh, shows us a promise yet to come, that this same Jesus who was born, who is to fulfill that promise, also then gave us his promise that one day he would return to us to come and receive us unto himself. And so the second part of this, this power of this newborn king, is also in the person. We talked about this a little bit uh, yesterday night, and I want to talk about it a little bit more today because it matters. It is part of uh, old Christian theology that, that is important. I know sometimes we think of these dusty scholars, and we think of these, uh, you, you, you know, these patriarchs of the faith, and these old dusty libraries, or you think, people tell me this too, like semin seminary, and they call, oh, so you went to cemetery, because that's where people go to die, right? Their theology gets cold, but no, uh, this person is fully God and fully man, and that matters. This person was born of a virgin, born as a baby who really lived a full human life, but yet is still fully God. And again, what we talked about yesterday, if you were here, was uh, having this intermediary. And if you weren't here, I'll cover it very quickly for you. But it's this idea of an interpreter almost, somebody who goes in your stead or, 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 or can uh, relate to somebody else who you can't relate to. So Jesus stands in between us and, and God. In fact, if you think about it, that's why that veil was torn. We no longer need a veil to guard us from God because Christ, in essence, is that veil for us. He acts on both God's part and our part. So God so loved the world, he gave his son that this child would be born. And so this child fulfills a promise, but he also fulfills it in a person. 
this Melchizedek fulfilling Jesus, who is fully God and still fully man. And also in his personage, we see the the promise of God being fulfilled through the lineage of the line of David, through Abraham, all those things coming down as we see and, and I know, I know sometimes as you read the Bible, you get to these lineages, you know, so-and-so uh, had so-and-so, and then so-and-so had so-and-so, and you think to yourself, man, this is boring. Why is this here? Surely this cannot be inspired by God, but beloved, it is. It is the proof of this promise for this person. And so lastly, in this first point that I have for you is then the presentation. Think about this Jesus and how he was born. We have plenty of songs about it. Now, the one that I don't particularly like is uh, Silent Night. And only, not, not because I don't like the words, but just because if you've ever seen a baby born ever, that's not a silent night. The, the baby is crying. Uh, the mom is crying. The dad is crying, probably, you know. Uh, and and you, we've seen, you know, TV shows where mom's yelling at dad and, or squeezing dad's hand. And so then that's what's making him cry and all those kind of things. But think about the presentation of this baby. Now, this is God in the flesh. Now, if I was writing the story, if it was my plan, if I was God, my baby would be born in a mansion or, or a palace. Uh, my baby would be born to, to some uh, opulent household where they could wrap him in the finest of silken sheets, where he would have servants waiting on him hand and foot, day and night, where he would never want for anything. He would be fully fed, fully clothed, fully warmed. He would be the most pampered child in all of history because as God, that's what I would want for my child. Now think of the presentation of this child. And in our wisdom, we are found to be foolish. This child was born to probably, historians say, some kind of a teenage mother who was engaged, wasn't even married yet, and so out of wedlock baby. Everybody knew, this isn't new science, we know where babies come from. And so people would see Mary and know that she wasn't married and see Joseph, and Joseph would receive scorn for marrying uh, a loose woman, and Mary would receive scorn for, for being a loose woman, and, and that's the scenario that they're born in. And then not only that, but who wants to have a baby on a road trip, right? And so here they are on a road trip. They're going to register because of, the, of Caesar at this time, and, and they have this baby out where animals are housed because there's no place for them other than that because everybody's all doing the same thing. And then on top of that, they're born in this place where animals are fed and they have no baby clothes and so they just wrap them in whatever cloths that they have and they lay them in the feeding trough. He was born to an insignificant family in an insignificant town on an insignificant night in an insignificant birth. But it's not. It's not because of the promise that is being fulfilled at the moment that he, his cries echo into the world, even before that, at the moment of his miraculous conception. It's not insignificant because of the person who he is, fully God and fully man, the promised Messiah of not only the Jews, but the Gentiles. And it's not insignificant 
because of what he's here for. It might have felt insignificant to the world. But remember, this same night, the heralds of heaven appeared to the least of those shepherds to announce that this day a child was born, the promised Messiah. And so in one way, this presentation was insignificant. In the other way, this presentation is recorded for us in God's holy word for over 2,000 years now. Every single year, we measure our calendars by this baby's birth. We live our lives according to this baby's birth, and we inherit eternal life through this baby's birth. And so this promise, this person, this presentation shows us the power in this newborn king. The second point I have is this, the far who came near. And of course, you already know where I'm going with this because of the the reading of this, but I, I would like to draw your attention to verses one and two now. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Those are the far who were coming near, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. See, these were those who were not in this town. We just sung the song. These, this Messiah came to those in Jewry. These were not those who are in Jewry. There are people who think that maybe this is because of the Assyrian or the Babylonian conquest, or maybe somebody who was sold into slavery, then later shared these prophecies with them. Uh, but here are the subpoints of this, of the far who came near. First thing I want you to see of this is the, the inquiry that they gave. These wise men are illustrations and encouragements for us. Their interests were awakened, and I just want to ask you this morning, how are you doing with being interested in the things of the Lord? I know for myself, so often I am consumed by the things of this world. I I have a family to care for. I have friends to go see. I have a job to do. And I share this with people, I share this with the elders, I share this with other pastors. Sometimes, believe it or not, although, although personally, and I know I'm biased, I think this is the best career anyone could ever have, and it is a joy. There are times, believe it or not, when I feel like I'm studying scripture only to produce something and not because I'm interested in what it says. Oh, may it never be. And so the wise men here, these are the far who came near because of the inquiry they had. They were interested in the things of God, and they were interested in this because they saw the star, because they were looking, because they were studying. And also see here that their ignorance was admitted, and that's okay. They came as far as they could on their own, and then when they got there, they asked. Beloved, we need to be able to do the same. There are giants of the faith that came before us that have written commentaries, that have written study Bibles. There are those who are preaching on YouTube who have all kinds of great resources for us. There is a pastor who loves you and who desires for your growth, and I would be happy to seek to equip you to other saints of the faith who could teach us because we are ignorant and we need to admit that. Again, let me just plug those cards. Go ahead and ask your questions, and I'll do my best to answer them. And if I don't know, I'll tell you that. But I'll do my best to find out. 
And so they have interest, they have ignorance, but they also are seeking information because they want to go and worship. So this is about the far who came near and the inquiry they had, but I hope that this is also an encouragement to you. I want to read some other scriptures to you. If you're a note taker, you can write this down if you'd like to, but it's up to you. So the encouragement that I have for you is from Ephesians 2, 11 through 13. So it's Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, and also 1 Corinthians 6, 11. Here's the encouragement I take in this. Therefore, remember, this is Ephesians 2, 11 and 13. Therefore, remember that one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. And then he gives that and then he's going to explain. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so just like these wise men, those of us, me, the least of these, can be brought near by the blood of Christ. And then in second, or I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 6, 11, there's a whole other section above that what talks about all those who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, all those who are doing all kinds of vile things. And then... 1 Corinthians 6.11 says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, here's the encouragement. These wise men were not Jews, at least that I know of, that I, I believe Scripture talks about that. And yet, they came near, which means we have an invitation this morning. And by the way, every single day that you take a breath. God is inviting you into his presence every single day. God so loved the world that he sent his son because he wants you not only today, but for all of eternity. What an amazing encouragement that this is. An amazing encouragement that these who were not of the people, although they sought him diligently, found him, were blessed by that, and I believe, even by baby Jesus, were welcomed. I sometimes wonder, after they brought their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh and and all those things that they did, they loaded back up their caravan. We don't know if there was three. We just assume that there was three, whatever. They load up all their stuff. They go back to the east. I wonder what happened when they heard about that crazy son of a carpenter who claimed to be God, who also was crucified by the Roman government, and who then his followers claimed that he rose three days later. I wonder if they believed. I wonder if they were saved. I wonder if we're going to be able to talk to these wise men when we get to heaven, and that they will say things like this. And such were some of us, but we were washed, we were cleansed, we were sanctified, we were justified by this God-man in the flesh. And so this is an encouragement because it's a revelation to all of us, it's an invitation to all of us, and it is a reception to all of us who would come. And so last of these sub-points then, I think here we can all see this is an example. These wise men are an example to us. They teach us how we should go about doing this. Their heads were clear. They studied scripture. That's how they knew about the star in the first place, right? Herod is going to ask those who study scripture in just a minute. 
Their heads were clear, their hands were full, and their hearts were open. They wanted to see this baby. And they wanted to bring something of value to him when they came. One of my favorite songs of all Christmas time is the little drummer boy. Do you know why? There's a, there's a, there's a, uh, not because I play the drums, but because there's a part in that where he says, you know, um, I don't have anything to offer this king, so I'll just play for you because that's, that's all I've got. And I love that because that's, that's how I know I'm going to go to heaven. I've got nothing to bring. It's only to the cross I cling. And by the grace of God, he says, that's enough. That's all that we need. And so this is an amazing example to me. And I pray that this is an encouraging example to you. That when we seek the Lord, we will find him. And that's exactly how we should live. Now, that's the good news of the far who came near. But there's also in this text the near who unfortunately are far. And so as we look at Matthew 2, 3 through 4, that's where we see this. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Now, if you know anything about history, you know why all Jerusalem was troubled with Herod, because he was a nasty, nasty king. He was so nasty that when he died, he had a list of noble families that would be killed so that people would cry at his death. True story. Look it up. So this is this King Herod. When he heard he was troubled, and so was Jerusalem. And assembling the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ would be born. So these are the near who are far. So the first thing I want you to see here is the king, the sovereign, right? Now, I use this term loosely. This is a term we should reserve for the Lord. But as a good preacher, i got to make everything match. So this starts with an S, as the rest of them do. So uh, this is the sovereign. Some of you can guess which the rest of them are if you'd like to try to do that. So the sovereign here, what is he troubled about? Well, firstly, he's troubled because of his power. He's supposed to be the king. He's supposed to be the king of the Jews. He's supposed to be the man with the answers, the man with the plan, the man in authority. No little baby born out there somewhere is supposed to be the one taking away any of his power. In fact, he kills some of his own family members thinking that they might want power. So this is a power-hungry man. This is a power-hungry man who's also full of pride and who's clinging so tightly to his possession. His possessions of power, of riches, of authority. So he was troubled. You better believe it. But it wasn't just him who were the near, who were actually far. It was actually the state, too, if you think about it that way. All these other people, Jerusalem with him. Why? Why would us as a people be so afraid just because our earthly leader is afraid? Do we not have the entire army of the Lord along with us? I think of that story of Elijah and Elisha when they were about to go into battle and one of them was really scared and I, I can never keep their names straight. I'm sorry. So it's, it's not just you. Um, there's there's uh, those, the, the guys in my seminary who taught me, I'm sure they can keep them straight, but I don't have a doctorate. So will you forgive me? But anyway, so Elisha and Elijah, they, they are out there and one of them says to the other, God, uh, open his eyes so he can see. And then they see the, the myriad of these angel warriors that are on the hill waiting to fight for them. But these who are in Jerusalem here, about this, and instead of being joy-filled, they are troubled. 
They let their fear overshadow their faith. And not only do they do this at his birth, they do this at his death, and that is why they, the crowds, said crucify him, crucify him, and so their fear always trumped their faith, and that led to, obviously, their failure. Matthew 23, 37 through 39, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. See your houses, see your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, if you're a good student, you may have figured this out already, but this is also the studied. So you have the king, you have the people, and then you have the scribes. I could have used that, but that wouldn't be totally right because you have the other uh, chief priests and stuff there too. So the studied. Which brings us today. Because there's an awful lot of people that want to uh, argue and converse over things like doctrine, and yet they're not living for Christ. You know, in Scripture, it talks about the day when Jesus comes back, there are going to be those that are going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to respond to them, I never knew you. Because just like it's possible for us to serve a religion like it was for them, these scribes and these chief priests, again, think about this story. These wise men, not Jews, these Gentiles, are following a star, following Scripture because of their studies. And they come to this place. And they asked the king, where is this new Messiah born of the Jews? And the scribes and the chief priests hear this, and there is no mention of scripture in any of them going to worship this little baby. But there is plenty of documentation in scripture that later they would be opposed to and seeking this Christ child, who's now a man, this Christ's destruction. You see, we can be so close so close to Jesus, so close we can almost touch him, and yet we can miss him for who he is. There's a difference between those who read and those who believe, or I guess I should say those who read and those who respond. It says repent and believe. It's more than just works. It has to be. Because if it was works, then we wouldn't need Jesus. We could all just pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, dust ourselves off, do better the next day, and eventually earn it. But the danger is that there are some that are near, that are still far. But let's end on a good note. Let's talk about the praise of this eternal king. Because this isn't just a power of a newborn king. This newborn king deserves our praise because he is eternal. Matthew 2, 10 and 11, to close us out, says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here are some things that we can see about the praise of this eternal king that I hope that are an encouragement to you this morning. Firstly is this guarantee. 
There was a guarantee that this child existed and that they would find him. And in this story, that guarantee is the star. They had never seen the star before. They saw it and they followed it. In fact, the crazy thing about this, and again, preparing for this and doing all these kinds of things, I, I, I read stuff and I, I heard this and I had never heard it before. And so take this with a grain of salt, if you would, but somebody, I think, I want to say it was Adrian Rogers. He's one of my favorite preachers, by the way. Uh, he had mentioned this star, and in his understanding, I, th- I think it was Adrian Rogers, he, he had made this claim. He said, maybe it wasn't a star at all. Maybe, now if, if you remember, in the Old Testament, you had this pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud during the day, that would go before Israel and they would follow that throughout the wilderness, right? And what he was saying is, is maybe this is the same kind of thing. Maybe this star wasn't a star in the way that we understand the celestial bodies today. Maybe this was just a representation of the Shekinah glory. The, I, I, and, and the way I think of it too is, I can remember the day of each of my child's birth. Every single day. And, and every single one of those days, was the second, second happiest day of my life. The first happiest day is when I stood up here with a pastor next to me and my beautiful bride walked in through the doors and I got to be married to her. But I can just imagine the father smiling down on his child, smiling down on his son in this Shekinah glory, this presence of the Lord. Because think about the text. It says that the star actually moved. They were following the star and then it came to rest over the place where Jesus was. And so Adrian, I believe it was Adrian. I'm going I'm to attribute it to Adrian um, and then whatever, we'll see. But this star that traveled in front of them, this glory traveled in front of them just like it did with Israel and then it rested over the new tabernacle, this Jesus. And this is a guarantee of who this child is, where he came from, what he was doing here and what he was going to do. And so we also have a guarantee now. It's not that same kind of thing. You know what the guarantee is now? It's the spirit. This spirit that was hovering out there in the stratosphere or wherever it was that they were finding it, that same spirit, the spirit of that son, This Bible says, now because of his death, burial, resurrection, he now puts that forward that it can now tabernacle, can dwell within all of us. That's the whole idea of Pentecost, where those flames of fire were then on those Jews during that when they were speaking in all those tongues. And so we now also have a guarantee, and we can praise this eternal king. But then also we see here gifts. So not only did these wise men have gifts, but we are given gifts. And I'm not just talking about underneath the tree. I'm not talking about your stockings and your packages, your boxes and bags, right? Christmas came all just the same. Maybe it's not from a store. Maybe it's from Christ. But they brought their gifts. They brought their time. They didn't just show up there. I mean, this took weeks maybe. We know it took a long time, first of all, because they didn't have trains, planes, automobiles, any of that stuff. So they were coming either on foot or by pachyderm or, you know, horse or whatever, whatever they were traveling on. So it took time. Also, we know it took time because Herod wanted to know when it was that they were born. And then later he would, he would kill all those babies that were within that time frame. That's why they fled to Egypt. 
But they also brought, not only their time, they brought their treasures. Remember, you, you've read the text, their gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were expensive treasures. But even more important than that, we have it written today, they brought a story, or if you want them to match, a tale, right? Time, treasure, tale. And we've read that story, and you know that story. But just like your favorite pair of socks, sometimes we can underappreciate that story. So I'm so thankful for Christmas services. I'm so thankful for candlelight services where we can gather together and we can be reminded again of the absolute depth of the miracle of this virgin-born child who would grow to then take our sin and our shame and then in its place give us gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so lastly, as we think about praising this eternal king, I want to talk about the glory. I want to remind you of the glory of this person, this God-man, that God so loved you. Yes, he loved the world, but, but I mean, for each of us in this room, for each of us watching, he loves you. He knows every hair of your head. He knows the beginning of your days till the end. He saw you, as scripture says, as you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knows every single one of your hidden secrets, failures, and faults. And he looks at you in Christ with a love that is eternally more than the way that I looked at my children the moment that they were born. In this person, we have a promise. In this Christ, we have a provision. Revelation 5, 11 through 14 says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice all together, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. That is this child who left his glory for us. And after his death, burial, and resurrection was given that glory back again. And if you can even begin to fathom, that is the glory then that he showers on and shares with all those who would believe in him. Because like we talked about yesterday, we were adopted into this family and that's our inheritance. That's why we say, Mary Christmas. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do praise you and we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your mercy, your love, your kindness. We thank you that you sent your son for us, us, God. 
Help us to remember not only today, but all year long, that the wise sought you then and the wise seek you now, but wiser still are those who bring you worship and praise. For you are worthy. It's in your name we sing. Amen. Oh, let's, let's stand and sing.